I think I think if you took consumers and made them sit there <laughs> for those, <laughs> nobody it, it, it would change their perspective, right? Like if you had to watch all these shots, they'd probably go, "Oh, okay." Welcome back, people. Here we are, Tony and Chris. No puts given. How you living? Hot, large, hot in a word, <laughs> large and sweaty. Okay. Oh, we got back. We were in Phoenix last week, and you know Phoenix is generally hot. It was historically but. hot, like record book hot, like every day over one fifteen, and no kind of break or end in sight. That's what we were doing. The worst for me, going coming out of the restaurant, right? Have dinner, yep. go in, and it was still light. Come out a little after dark little bit of breeze and I don't know, maybe it's just being up in New York. I have different expectations, but you expect when you open that door into darkness, mm -hmm. go outside, it's going to feel cooler. Yep. It, it didn't. didn't. It, was, it didn't. No, it was, the biggest takeaway I walked away with with that is how do you people live here in the summer? Wow. And they're there. I mean, I get it. People that generally can or want to, they have a little, a little escape. Maybe they head up to, Pine Canyon area. Maybe they matriculate north or somewhere else, but plenty of plenty of people there. Not me, Tony. Not me. Quick question before we dive in here, because we got big stuff to talk about. Trivia question. If you're typing, what percentage of letters will come from your left hand versus your right hand? Just on average. Can call 52 for not you. Bad, not bad. 56. A little more on the left than okay. right, 56%. So, anyway, we were out there last week. We were in Phoenix, the British Open, the Open, the Open Championship, 151st edition, oldest uh, you know, championship, certainly. Kind of underwhelmed by the whole thing, Tony. And I love golf. I love watching golf. But how did you feel about it? Because you're always underwhelmed by golf tournaments. Yeah, I mean, so we were – we had it on in one of the hitting bays. So, it's kind of like background and – Paid attention as we could, but we were in and out. Some of us were downrange spotting balls, so mm -hmm. it's not like we could sit down and watch it. Saturday, I was on the plane, and I was you know, probably watching movies and, and whatnot on my iPad, and occasionally I'd glance up at the screen. The guy next to me had it on, but was not deeply enthralled. And then by Sunday, I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn on the back nine, and I'm going to watch the finish on this thing. And, and I clicked on, and I said, yeah, I saw I saw the league harm the lead Harmon had and just a few holes left and it was like short of a, a Jean Vandeveld quality meltdown, right. it was done. And so I'm like, well, it's done. I'm done. So I didn't I didn't watch but maybe two minutes of it. I know terrible, but I tried to watch. I, I, I kind of like the like I was happy with the leaderboard at that time. Like I, I liked the the guys that were yeah. in the in the top five as far as what was showing up on TV, yeah. but. Yeah, underwhelming finish. Just kind of like, matter of fact, over before it was over kind of situation. And so, like, not not the edge of this your seat, you mm -hmm. know, bottom of the ninth, two on, two out kind of drama no. that you wanted. Just, just a matter of fact. But, hey, you know. I can tell you one person who found that probably riveting, Brian Harmon. I, I guarantee, so. I guarantee he uh, appreciated how boring it was or how boring he made it for the – rest of us and you know like you said short of a major meltdown it's i felt like this british open kind of hit the in between of all the things i want out of a british open right where you know the first day you know there there are some frustrations around the bunkers and the pot bunkers i love seeing bunkers be a penalty again that was fantastic again i'm always reminded of you know in the u.s Guys are yelling at it, you know, get in the bunker, get in the bunker. They don't want it to end up in the rough around the green or whatever. Here is just the opposite. You know, they're yelling, stay out of the bunker, you know, stay in the rough. There's a bunker. You know, like, don't go. Because they are, they are they're, deep walled in. Yes. Holes. it's I, And I love that. So I, I really enjoyed that. You know, sometimes we get inclement weather. Uh, this almost got there. You know, it wasn't the amount of wind and rain that we've seen at, at some others. It did get a little nasty on Sunday at times, but it didn't really reach a fevered pitch, which kind of, again, to me, matches the rest of the drama in the tournament. It didn't really, you know, get the type of winds and rain that we've seen before. Uh, and, you know, 
you had an exceptional round or two out there. Rom shooting 63 to effectively put himself back in the tournament. I mean, really put himself back in the tournament, but then kind of faded away. And, and Harmon was just like super, super steady, which again, maybe is really emblematic of, of kind of what that tournament is, is all about. So maybe he is the, the perfect champion golfer of the year, particularly for this year and in, in Hoy Lake, but um, it didn't, yeah, it didn't give me the riveting type of, you know, on the edge of your seat, down to the wire type finish that that a lot of people would have probably liked. But it's tournament golf, man. Yeah, now you got. At the end of the day, we have a winner, and I guess that's why they play it. But kind of a kind of a soft Open Championship in my mind on the heels of what was inarguably a soft U.S. Open. So maybe maybe not the most exciting uh, major season ever. But hey. Yeah, you get what you get and you don't get it. Nope, and the Ryder Cup will be here before we know it. So, like we're saying, ball test. How many years? Your I was going to say, how many times have we done ball test here? Just just quick refresh. So this was the third? Yeah, they get keep getting progressively bigger and more insane and more in-depth. And So, yeah, number three. So we had the first one, and then the second one was a bigger operation. We did some live streaming, all these kind of other things, and – I wasn't at the first one. I certainly wasn't at the second one. But this time, again, two different locations. We need more people there. So this was my first time to the ball test. And I just enjoy that other people get to see how wild it is because it's it's things you would not expect. It's things you don't believe if if uh, I don't tell you yeah, it, or you don't see it. If I tell you, it doesn't sound... No, give people a little peek behind, like, some of the things that, you know, you hear, oh, you know, 5,000 shots, 10,000 shots, you know, whatever it is. And, and for so many people, right, it's it's just a number. Um, but you really got to stop and think. It's like, okay, understand for each golf ball, you know, somebody's sitting there putting it on the tee. And that gets kind of old and repetitive very, very quickly, <laughs> right? So if you've ever done... You know, it was only we only did it like fifty five hundred times over the course. Right. So if you've ever done a task like that, I know many people have, and I don't care if it's you know picking weeds or you know organizing files or whatever the case is, those kind of mundane, repetitive tasks. It's like you can kind of talk yourself into doing it for an hour, you know, or two or whatever. But eight hours, ten hours, five days in a row it doesn't maybe sound like much and it's not difficult, right? Like from a labor perspective, if you will, it doesn't take like her, you know, Herculean strength or anything, but you got to do it the same way over and over. And then we change. If it was an even number ball, you had to orient it this way. If it was an odd number ball, we had to orient it that way because we're hitting it on the seam and on the pole and this, and then you got to do it right each time. Um, just the sheer amount of doing that over and over and over, that was something you probably can't really accurately reflect for people unless you get to go do it yourself. So we'll be looking for volunteers, right? Seriously. <laughs> Worst job it is, yeah. Um, that stuck out to me. Uh, obviously, you don't get to control the weather, but you know, just being in 110, 115 degrees for 10 hours a day uh, you know, requires a lot of Gatorade, which you and I happen to find a lovely Walgreens that definitely helped us uh, – increase our our Gatorade consumption but um it I will say though for as hot as it was we we had pretty good luck with the weather we didn't get we didn't get much in the way of heavy wind mm-hmm. I think um maybe maybe Thursday afternoon we had a little bit of, that's that's really the one day where we even gusted above 10 and the winds were a little higher that day and it's you know mm-hmm. we had a plan for that anyway that's part of why we had a control ball in the test um but it is interesting, like it, it seemed to happen when we we were testing many of the balls you would expect to be among the longest anyway. Right, right, so right. It's, it's definitely a little hard to say how much was wind and how much was just golf ball, but well, that's, again, why we have a control. In and, and I think the other thing, it's like any anybody that deals in a volume type of operation, that's where you really start to see some of these differences. And so, you know, take somebody who paints houses for a living and can look at 84 different shades of gray and tell you that, Oh no, this one's a little too pink. This one's a little too gray. This one's definitely a little brown or whatever the case is. And I'm looking at it going, 
looks great to me. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you're talking about. But I kind of had that experience with the balls where when you watch thousands of shots over and over and over and over, and you have a robot, you know, robot that is as controlled a piece of this experiment as as is known in existence, right? I mean, it hits it, you know, the same spot. We have all the data, the metrics, so we can see the club head is accelerating from this point to this point, this many miles per hour. Here's the launch, spin, face angle, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff's controlled. So that really, again, the variable is the golf ball and you're watching a hundred shots in a row. And then all of a sudden you see one go, oh man, that one went much higher or that one went a little bit too far. Ooh, that was definitely the right side of the grid. You know, those in isolation maybe don't look like much. They just look gray, you know? I think that's exactly what you're talking about is why golfers are like, I'm not good enough to tell the difference, right? Because it is, it is a shot in isolation every time. Right. Versus just kind of seeing one after the other and seeing trajectories come up and down with the same ball, mm-hmm. seeing seeing a ball go, let me say, 60 yards right, and then several balls later in the same model that ends up 50 yards left, something like that. It's, yeah, see the shot tracer on that, and it's like, whoa, there's not a, you know, there's not a fairway wide enough in America that those both would have stayed on. But even just those little differences, be like, oh yeah, this one's definitely flying higher. Oh yeah, this one. Oh yeah. Okay, this one's definitely doing more of that and and again, we'll see all that reflected in the in the data when you pull it all together and we look at the reports and things. So, when we're saying, "Hey, this ball on average was X number of yards, you know, shorter or offline or whatever," um it's almost like that's the result, but seeing it happen live in person over 4 or 5 days, I think I think if you took consumers and made them sit there <laughs> for those times. Nobody, it, it, it would change their perspective, right? Like if you had to watch all these shots, they'd probably go, oh, okay. I think, yeah, I mean, I think if kind of what we saw and you even see it, obviously it's it's easier to see it off the driver because that is, as I said, speed being an accelerant, the gasoline on the fire, mm-hmm. it's it's much more obvious. But even on iron shots, you see it. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, I think if, if everybody kind of, had the opportunity to see that you would you would definitely kind of get rid of that whole I'm not good enough to tell the difference mindset like mm-hmm. you, know, you sit right here you'll you'll be able to tell the difference pretty quickly. yeah for me the kind of the biggest thing it did it took something that was theoretical which is the numbers and the reports and because people can interact with that however they kind of want to and made it very experiential for me like you can't take somebody and you go right people change their opinions a lot oftentimes based on perspective oh i thought this restaurant was really good you went to it and then you're like okay now i have my own personal experience to base that off of i didn't have a personal experience to base that off of before now i do i believe the data before because i trust what we do and how we do it and why but there's no way i could deny what we do now based on having you know gone gone through it so with that little uh takeaways and teasers tony what were a couple of your biggest takeaways uh, again, I know we haven't sifted through all the data yet, so we can't say a lot of things definitively just yet, but you got a couple nuggets. I know you do. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've we seen some, and we, I said this when we did kind of a live stream on the last day when we were goofing off hitting balls with 130 mile an hour club head speed, <laughs> but fun. it'd be hard pressed to find any brand in the test that, that escaped with a clean sheet. You know, we, we have a, a Titleist Pro V1 in the test that I believe would would certainly qualify as a bad ball. We saw some stuff with Bridgestone, for example, where the the peak height differences were noticeably different from one shot to the mm-hmm. next with the same model. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a Shrixon fly wildly offline. We had tailor-mades that were hit maybe 20 minutes apart that finished 70 yards apart. Right. Uh, and neither one was in the middle. So. Right. Yeah, I mean that kind of stuff is always like you know, and and I've said it's nobody is a, nobody is perfect one hundred percent of the time, right? But, and when when you start to see a pattern with with a manufacturer, in, a, in the case of TaylorMade, it's this is the second test in a row we've seen this with with TP five and TP five X. So, like it's that stuff is a little disconcerting for sure. The wet wedge stuff, this is new for us. Yeah, what did we do? We've Just explain this. that maybe real quick. So kinda. we hit yeah we we loaded up a wedge. Um, I think we were carrying about 15, 15, 150 yards. 
ideal contact. So to get kind of like your maximum spin rate, and then we sprayed the balls with water, similarly to how we would approach a wet wedge test to see spin declines. And that was that was pretty eye-opening to see, kind of, you know, pulling up the data. We'll tease it just a hair here. Let me see if I can find it. I don't know what I mean, because we had some, if I, if I recall correctly, let's say, you know, on a, on a full wedge swing with that, again, depending on the type of ball you're using, you're going to get 10 to 11,000 RPM of backspin somewhere in well, that neighborhood. Well, we were, right? like I said, we were, we were idealized contact. Yeah. So we were seeing 12.5 on some So of these. humans, if, I, if I'm hitting it, I'm going to yeah. get 10 to 12,000, maybe 10 to 11,000 yeah. on a full swing, hopefully. Um, I've gotten 12 a few times. That's because you're gifted. Um, yeah, but, you know, a few. <laughs> but... But just show you, like that is like optimal with a wedge, depending on speed and and kind of delivered loft and things like that. But you know, long story short, we saw some balls on the high end. The best balls retain when wet. Oh, come on, sort for. And me. what would people expect, right? Like, it's so kinda, it... yeah, we saw we saw drops of you know, say call it thirty five percent, which yeah. When the ball gets wet, you're going to lose spin, period. No way around it. Good, The best balls, yeah. the worst balls, whatever. Right. You're always going to pay a penalty. So the best balls retained about 35, call it 30 to 40% of their spin. Okay. Uh, the worst balls lost more than 60% of their spin. So we saw, for example, on, on one ball, uh, go from ten about 10,500, 10,400 by the numbers, mm-hmm. Dry spin dropped all the way down to 4,200. And so if you're you're playing in morning dew, for example, in the rain, I know a lot of people don't like to do that, but certainly <laughs> right. if you're out early, right. especially as you get into like spring and fall, for sure, you're going to encounter that. Mm-hmm. And so to understand like your choice in golf ball, the, even, even at that level, it matters. Something as basic as how well it gets rid of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be pretty eye opening for sure. And again, this one's new for us. Yeah. And uh, I guess kind of the other new thing we kind of experimented with wedge distances in the past. And now this time we've got really good wedge data at 115 yards anyway. Mm-hmm. So we tried a greenside test this year. I haven't looked at the data too closely yet, but 35 yards to kind of see, you know, that, and that's a shot a lot of us have multiple times around. Absolutely. Uh, to kind of see what spin rates look in that like in that scenario as well, but um, yeah, the the wedge, the wet wedge was comical because we're <laughs> we're getting it dialed in, and we we think we're in a good place. Sure, you know we're we're getting the flight, we're getting know, everything calibrated, yeah, right. And then we we spray water on it, and the first one, like the launch angle, just <laughs> jumps up and it smacks across. Like a beam, like didn't didn't make it to where we thought it was going to make it, so we had to kind of rethink some things. But yeah, so we 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 knew that when a ball gets wet, launch goes up and and spin goes down, and we're going to have some you know more concrete numbers for that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and we'll also maybe come back at a different time and kind of talk about okay. So once we have all this information, that's great, but what do you do with it? How do we actually take it to you know help you? shoot a better score. So you're in this situation, you have a ball, what are things that you can do? What should you do if you're in that situation? What does that mean if a ball is going to launch, you know, a couple degrees higher with 30, 40% less spin? How does that actually impact a shot? Is it going to come up short? Do I need to try to do A, B, or C? Again, I think we'll kind of come back to some of these things once we have more of the information. But we also get people, uh, I brought I brought this out, my, my handy-dandy little prop, you know what this is, Tony? Checko. Checko. Right? You put a, you take a golf ball, Checko. you know, you put it on this little thing here. Um, you know, you spin it around, and here I'm grabbing one of these calibration, or one of these uh, balls. That's uh, a Callaway ball. That's the Rapsodo markings. I was going to say, yeah. That's a... that's a Rapsodo thing. So I ideally, right, I would just put it in here. I'm going to spin this baby. You gotta. You need the special marker that costs like way, way too yeah, much money. Yeah, you know, you spin it for X amount of time. Thing. Throw a little marker here in the yeah. side, and bzzz, you know, it draws a line around the ball. So the reason I'm bringing this out, Tony, is we we invariably get a number of these questions when we do a ball test. We get a lot of the DIY crew say, "Oh, either I want to do a test like this, or I've done testing like this, or 
how does this compare to something like a check go? Why can't I just use this? Is, doesn't that give me the best kind of ball? Like what advice would you give to ball testing DIY individuals? Uh, check is interesting. We know like almost no golf ball is, is perfectly balanced, right? Everything has a little bit of imperfection. And so uh, check grope go spins and kind of aligns on the center of gravity. And so, yeah, it's, you know, you're, you're going to find something better. You're going to find for putting maybe an optimal roll position on that. So it's one of those things. Checko Pro can't hurt. Um, I think where, where it gets dicey is with the people doing the Epsom salt test. Yeah, what? So um, if people don't know what that yeah, is. They what is it, yeah, they float it in a ball, mark it, you know, when it, it's going to kind of align itself up put a dot, spin it, and see how quickly it returns to that position and the idea if it, you know, uh, doesn't come right back or if it if it spins or how it's supposed to work. But basically, like, it, if it keeps coming to that same point quickly, right. like, you know, there's a problem. Okay. Uh, it's it's tricky because there's a lot that, that kind of influences that. Um, you know, the, the Epsom salt to water ratio will affect the buoyancy. The solution, yep, yep. Uh, environmental conditions actually impact how it works as well. So temperature, humidity, altitude, all of that stuff. So it's it's kind of an imperfect science. And I kind of get go back to the same thing. Like, look, you're going to find a problem with almost every ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't. It's very rare that when I measure four points on the golf ball, all of them are exactly the same diameter. Right. So there's always a little bit of flux, and with that, you know, we know when we cut them that. Some some layers are, are going to be a little bit thinner, not that big of a deal. Where in some cases, you know, we do see pretty big shifts. So it's it's interesting, but it's certainly imperfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to tell the whole story by any means. And so, you know, have fun and games, and you know, go for it. But like I said I don't, I don't, especially the Epsom salt because there's so many variables that go into that. Mm-hmm. You know, but hey, <laughs> whatever makes you happy. Well, and the other thing, uh, you know, I would just point out, kind of from a DIY side is in terms of testing golf balls you can certainly test and there are ways for you to figure out maybe which ball is better for you and your game but an individual can't replicate testing on the level or the volume that we do through this particular test so like that was one thing again that just kind of uh, stuck out to me is in terms of understanding what are the real relative differences in terms of performance from this ball to that ball Number one, you can't listen to manufacturers. And I'm not saying that because manufacturers are wanting to mislead you. But when they say, oh, this is a higher launch, lower spin ball or whatever, at best, that'll be relative to like maybe their lineup. So they're talking about that in the context it's, yeah, of... It's, it's always an oversimplification because you can't you can't put complex stories on the back of a golf ball box. Right. It just doesn't work. Right. And so again, I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not saying, you know, manufacturers like purposely misleading or anything like that. But... You can't use that as a point of reference to say, okay, therefore, here's the best ball for me. You really need, right? Like I said, a place to to gather all of this data and really look at differences between all these balls on the same scale, tested at the same time, in a way that is comprehensive and evaluative. And this is that test. There isn't another one out there like this. Um, so let us do the hard work for you people. We already did it. And we're even just going to share it with you. You know, that's what I got to say to the D I Y people, but sometimes things come out. We have some new products to talk about Tony very quickly. We'll, uh, we'll hit on this one here. You know what that is, Tony? That's your proto concept. Yeah, it is something or other. That's your wheelhouse. That's your baby. That's my baby. Japanese forged Japanese forgings right in the Chris nickel wheelhouse. Yep. So here, that's pretty though. It is pretty. Here's your quick takeaways. So Proto Concept, we'll link the article. You can read all about it there. Uh, partner Project, right? Golf Partner. This falls under that umbrella. They also have Next Gen, a couple others. But this is like their AMG, Premium, Bentley, whatever, top of the line Proto Concept. Good enough for Lydia Co. Good enough, good enough for Lydia Co. And others. This is their new muscle back. It's a TB model. The other one, they had the CO3. TC, which we thought they named after you, I confirmed. You know, I'm pretty sure that wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't. And the TB, I thought this was Tom Brady or something. That also wasn't the case. It is a tour blade. Tour blade. Maybe tour. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But 
Not rocket surgery, Trigger. No. Here, here's the biggest story with this. Yes, it's forged by Endo. Yes, it's S20C, uh, so a softer material to start with. We know that doesn't necessarily make all the difference, but it does help. It's really about the geometry and mass properties in terms of determining the feel. However, here's a cross-section of that club. Some sort of goo? Ceramic. What is Okay, why not? Ceramic. The IC... <laughs> Stands for peanut butter inner yeah, <laughs> nope, not peanut butter. Stands for inner uh, ceramic licorice, the black licorice, a little anise, yeah, a little anise tasting going there. Um, say anise or anise. I knew you'd bring <laughs> that up. Thanks, thanks for being here. Uh the oh, ceramic. Here's the story, which is kind of interesting. So similar, right? the idea is to get weight out of uh, here, and they can redistribute some of that to. The perimeter. I've never heard that story before. New. So, so what they're going to do, but they also want to do something with, with the position of the center of gravity. Anyway, what makes that particular piece unique is I call it Twinkie technology. So when you have a billet of steel, right, which is basically just a round rod of steel that becomes forged, these big hydraulic hammers that forge it, forge it, forge it. They have to take that piece of steel and pre-impregnate it with the ceramic bar, which then is forged into shape. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the cream and the Twinkie um, that they managed to get in there. It's much more high tech than that. But uh, hopefully have a chance to hit some of these soon. I'm currently playing the uh, the O3 model and very much enjoying those. Um, but these are available. They're out there at a number of retailers 450 bucks ahead though not not inexpensive tony not inexpensive hybrids we did a test when we were gone i know we we're all in ball testing world but let's run down the top five there real quick we don't need to spend days on this but top five tony you got them handy there i'm i'm working on it man like i said we were gone so i know that the uh as it did with the utility category, Ping Ping kind of won this one mm-hmm. pretty handily, I believe. They did. Uh, so I know that was they did. They did. We'll count. We'll count down to the number one spot. In number five, though, is a hybrid I personally currently have in the bag in that hybrid slot that I'll switch in and out at times. The Titleist TSR number five. The Titleist TSR three. Number four. There you go. Fourth, Wilson Dynapower. Wilson Dynapower. Second. Uh, sneaky little uh, sneaky little value play right there. Mm-hmm. Sneaky little value play. Third place. Not a surprise here. I, I fully expected to see this one somewhere on the podium. Cobra King yeah. Tech. It's kind of that uh, that bigger, almost fairway-like hybrid, but it is, yeah. It, uh, mm-hmm. It's fun to play with for sure. Yeah, definitely if you're somebody that's looking, like I said, you like your hybrids a little more fairway wood-ish, a little on the more robust side. Cobra King Tech obviously performs very, very well. A little bit surprised to see the one in the number two spot, kind of. I think I think we've had sub-70 in the hybrid category before. And that's why I, I only say a little. Way. Yeah, they, they got something going on with the hybrids that just seems to work. And you know, I think part of it, too, when you look at hybrid technology, it, it tends to to lag behind a little bit. Sure. So I think for a company like Sub70, it's easier to compete in the hybrid category than mm-hmm. than it is maybe in a in a driver category, for example. So mm-hmm. and you know, surprising, but not a shock. No, no, and I, I would also say this, not this isn't specific to sub 70, but you know, this is really for any test that we run. Every company can't make every product the top priority every year. So there are some years where a company might dedicate more resources towards A, B, C, and E, and maybe they put D off until a different year, whatever the case is. And maybe a company says, hey, we're going to go all in on, because here, here's a place we think others are ignoring, and here's some place we could do a much better job than others. It does not change the results. It does not matter. Sub-70, of a phenomenal product here, obviously number two. They did something uh, exceptionally right here with that. But in our number one slot, like you said, it was kind of a landslide. The distance from one to two was pretty substantial this year, number one. Yeah, it's the Ping G430, first on our accuracy metric, which is a kind of a strokes gained approach. Second for distance, which is surprising if only we don't, we don't tend to think of Ping as a distance company, but that was 
I mean, we were surprised when we sat down with them to discuss this lineup that there was mm-hmm. more emphasis on distance than than any previous conversations we've had with them. And then, you know, number two for forgiveness, which uh, you, you kind of come to expect from pain. Yeah, uh, certainly with with our metrics as well. It, it did, you know, obviously right there. So again, not not a surprise in so much as. You know, we've we've seen them there before with accuracy. We've we've seen them there for forgiveness. It's always been the distance piece that was lacking, and mm-hmm. you know, here it's here it clearly wasn't. So that's hey. that's a shift. I think that's something that we may talk about a little bit in the after show if you want to stick around when we're talking about more in depth kind of stuff on the hybrid testing. Uh, no doubt we'll get there. But Tony, I know it was a long week. It's hot. Do you got your hoaxes on? I know you're a Hoka guy. We're we gonna run. All right, let's do it. Are you a Hoka guy today, Tony? Yeah, we're gonna. I'm barefoot right now. All right. One of my dear friends and our dear friends, Mark, Mark Crossfield, said something to this effect. He's not the only one. Others have as well. But basically, trying to get to the sense of like, yeah, golf balls can all perform the same. Take it or leave it. No, it's yeah, that's. Golf balls do not perform the same. They don't go all the same distance. Hogwash. Yeah, I mean, we'll see this. We'll see this all the way from 80 mile, 85 mile an hour driver to slow swing speed iron. You're gonna see. You're gonna see some differences for sure. For sure. Similar, maybe. Same. Not a chance. There are differences, and some of them are vast. All right. If we did pull in a consumer. Random person. We pulled them into the ball test for next year. What do you think is the first thing they would notice? Yeah, I think I think the seeing balls fly offline, particularly at high speed, is probably the most visible thing that happens over the course of the of a test. That's the eye opener. Uh, and I think if you sat down and think, it's a little bit of what we talked about earlier: seeing seeing visible changes in trajectory. So when we talk about look. They don't go all the same difference. They don't launch through, well, certainly don't fly through the same windows. If you put that window a little bit farther downrange, you would see see balls that that fly low and come in really shallow, mm-hmm. you know, being downrange when, when those balls were coming in and, and realizing that if we're trying staring up at the sky, trying to pick them up and go, oh, for this model, we need to just shift our gaze because it's coming in low mm-hmm. and you see stuff like that. So there's lots of stuff that stands out, but. I think the big takeaway is they'd be like, my God, this is boring. <laughs> and aerodynamics matter for sure. There, yeah, plus, plus or minus some like moments of excitement. It's pretty boring. I mean, we tested a ton of balls this year. We said 45, 46, something like that. I'm getting to the, I mean, I get it. Consumers like to have choice. We like to have these things, but we also have mainline manufacturers, you know, where they control the process more or less. You have obviously Titus, you know, Strixon, Bridgestone, uh, you know, Callaway and, and Taylor made with investments in their own plants, etc. Then we have this whole litany of balls that are made by really a handful of manufacturers overseas. I think we should start voting some golf ball companies out of the business. I think they're just redundant. Can you pick one? Is there one you would just kick off the island and say, hey, we don't, from a performance standpoint, it's not personal, from a performance standpoint, we could do without. Well, I get, I, again, I go back to the ionomer balls that don't spin off wedges. That's, you know. What about a urethane one? That, that, what about a urethane one where the where the performance is, is mostly just duplicated by something else that's already out there? It's as good, if not better. Well, I mean, it's there. It's tough to, to say absolute duplication. Get subtle differences. I mean, I'd be brutally honest with you. Like the ones that I have repeat concerns about, mm-hmm. I Q Star Tour. Mm-hmm. I would, I would never for a second continue think about putting that ball. You're in off the island, Q Star Tour. You're off. Again, and that has to do with some of the stuff we've seen in testing. Yep. You know, just from a performance standpoint, glitches off the island. But yeah, anytime something goes way off, you're like, man, that's, you know, you can have a little bit, but when you see it go way off and you see it in consecutive years and along those same lines, like for me, and this, this is not going to be, it's not going to go over well with anybody or, or a lot of people, but I have, I have no confidence in the current generation of TP5. Like to see what we've seen this year, what we saw in the previous test, which was basically what we saw again this year. And, and 
you know, some of the stuff we've seen in Ball Lab with layer concentricity issues here and there. Like, mm -hmm. man, I am I am so bullish on what TaylorMade is doing with their golf ball franchise right now with with the things like the indoor test range that we saw that is state-of-the-art, absolute phenomenal. The the stuff they've done on the range of the kingdom is awesome. The most Extensive. the most advanced outdoor testing for the golf ball that we've been shown i can't say that it is more advanced than anybody else has. but what we've it seen is the most yep. advanced we've been shown that we've seen right yep. as you said but man when i when i see some of the issues with this golf ball and again seeing you know the same ball tested two years apart and finding the same result where you know one goes hard right fireworks goes hard left yeah, yeah it's man it's off the island it's tough and Photo yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic they'll they'll do better with the next one. I know they're working on some stuff. Yep. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Last it's, one. It's just not a good one. Last one. Let's say you had to play golf in that heat that we were in, existing in that heat that we were in. Give me your top three tips, or even top one, because I got one as well. And it, it, it yeah, go play simulator golf. Start there. Start inside. Um, get yourself an O dogs hot dog. Oh, dogs. Yeah. Uh, no, what are your tips? Outside. No, I mean, it's the obvious, like drink lots of water. More than you think you Five need times to. as much water as you think. Cover yourself in sunscreen. Absolutely. Just make yourself pasty white with zinc or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm a fan of the big ass hat. I was going to say, invest in a bucket hat. And two, this maybe seems a little contrived, Tony. Get yourself some stitch shirts. These things are super breathable. It is. It this does not I I know it's, okay whatever but you're out on the course it's hot you literally want to feel if there is any air whatsoever you almost want to feel like it's moving through you but not in a way that's like you know kind of kind of bizarre but I'm telling you I felt yeah they didn't get they didn't get heavy and like that that cotton soaked added weight feel so no. they do a good job pulling the moisture out and letting it evaporate so I was happy yeah I was thrilled and, with that and obviously like being able to just flip a collar up once I do the little buttons here that was being out there it was nice to to cover up the neck a little bit more too not that many of us would flip a collar on a golf course but it's an option yeah you could do I don't it I think you need to not do it but yes that's my tip get yourself some stitch gear uh, I think it would work maybe we'll post a little coupon code below once again for our friends at at stitch uh good stuff great stuff great shirts i like the patterns i'm a big fan of the patterns all right tony that's a pretty quick rundown there again if you're interested stick around little uh little hybrid talk in the after show but until then until next week or the week after we out all right we're back welcome to the after show if you stuck around we appreciate you thank you for sticking around with us talk hybrid stuff tony a little okay. bit um hybrids gaining we'll talk hybrids and we'll use a better microphone yeah How about that let's do that let's do that so first of all this is uh i know this is kind of an evolving place in the bag part of what makes it interesting you should be oh okay you have hybrids you know they're basically four people who couldn't hit their long irons and it's like okay well at some point in time don't hit a seven iron or six iron five iron oh there we go Get rid of that four iron, three iron, put a hybrid in your back. That's not really the case anymore. So what is a hybrid for? Let's talk about that part first. Why do we have this as a separate testing category? And, and who is this list really for? Well, I guess it's for somebody who wants a hybrid. <laughs> Thanks for who, coming who, to my who, TED Talk. Yeah, uh, <laughs> who should want a hybrid? Yeah, I think still i mean going back to the originals right it's just for for people who struggle with long irons i mean i don't think that's fundamentally changed so no. you know it falls in that category that mizuno calls dlrs right mm -hmm. direct long iron replacements utilities yep. can also be dlrs but yep you know one or the other right and i think this is this is really for most often for the guy who struggles with long irons whether it's to hit them consistently well, whether it's to to achieve the requisite ball speed to for proper gapping, whether it's mm -hmm. to hit them high enough in the air such that they have any stopping power coming into the greens, mm -hmm. somebody who needs, you know, just wants more forgiveness in a general sort of way, yeah. you know, whatever it happens to be. So it's, it's a yeah. pretty versatile club, which I guess is kind of cool too. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen, I think, in terms of trends, you know, it used to be almost isolated to like 
man, again, I'm going to go back to like original, like tailor-made rescue kind of stuff. Maybe it was two, three, and four hybrids. There's, you know, maybe a handful of models. But now we've seen that even jump up as replacements for five irons, six, six. irons. Some go up to sevens, maybe Seven some eights so and kind of like a, when you get into the extremes of the game improvement hybrid space, like a, like some of the big Bertha stuff, for example, they'll get up into, into really weak lofts. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing that's, I, yeah. I've always liked about the hybrids, it's, it really does run the gamut. So you do have like more, you know, very rare that you find like a true peanut anymore. Like the, the TSI three was kind of like that really compact hybrid. Uh-huh. I feel like Titleist maybe kind of thought that they, they overcooked it a little bit there, but um, they, it, from a size footprint perspective, it runs a gamut from uh-huh. smaller designs to big, to bigger heads that are, you know, probably when you think about small fairway woods, there's probably some overlap there, right? If you put those created a Venn diagram, you would have some spots where there is overlap. So uh-huh. Yeah, a lot to choose from, a lot of variety uh, in a single club type. Yeah, Maybe, a lot of different lofts, a lot of different features. Yeah, any probably certainly more than any other category that isn't otherwise segmented, right? Yeah, you're gonna there's a it's a huge difference between a blade and a super game improvement iron, but right, right. You know, hybrids very rare do you get that that clear distinction in the marketplace, right? They're all just kind of hybrids, and you find the one that. Mm-hmm. It suits your eye and fits your swing. So, well, you have yeah, a lot that, that are that really cool. Like I said, even that some that are just middle of the road. Like I said, take the TSR three, which is again more of a smaller, compact, designed to be a of the hybrids, a lower flying, lower spinning option. Again, contextually within the hybrid space, but you also have like like we said, Cobra. Ping is maybe kind of right in the middle of those two from a size perspective. So, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, so I guess here's the question. When we test that, we talked with irons, our criteria, how much we kind of weight different areas because of that. How do we do that with hybrid testing, given, like I said, that we're running from smaller hybrids up through things that are maybe even close to the size of a small fairway wood? Yeah, so we we made the decision early on. It comes like, two, in very simple terms, are kind of two ways you can test a wood, and hybrids are loosely metal woods, right? They tend to trickle down from that same lineup. It's do you, do you test it like a driver in a fairly wood, or do you test it like an iron? Mm-hmm. Where with the with the the former, it's really like, yeah, I'm just trying to hit it far. You know, mm-hmm. It's it's more of a distance approach, uh, or do you treat it like an iron as a as a target club? And this goes back to you know, when we were first starting club testing, uh, Titleist had this line at the time that hybrids are scoring clubs. Right. And that, that kind of resonated with me because it, it's typically, yeah, you do use them off a of tee in some cases, but more often than not, when you have a hybrid in your hand, you're trying to get it on a green. Uh, so we test them like irons. We use that same type of methodology differences instead of having a five, uh, you know, a long iron, a mid iron and a short iron. We have a single club right current test right so maybe one day we'll evolve and, and test different loft of hybrids as well uh, but that's kind of how we do now and so we use kind of the same baseline metrics that we use with with irons we just tweak the the values a little bit so you put numbers on it 50 percent of the score comes from our strokes gain metric uh, so that and again we love that because it it includes elements of distance um, elements of pin proximity, elements of the lie condition that would have resulted from a shot. So just kind of a really robust metric that works, even in a test environment, works really well for uh, for iron testing or target-based testing, if you will. So mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll use it for wedges as well. Yeah. And, and then the other the other 50% per spent, per spent, mm-hmm. percent, the, the, the other 50% gotcha. words, the <laughs> other 50% are, is split evenly between our forgiveness and distance metrics. So, okay. and again, it's, that's kind of why we break it out because we realize some people want different things from, from their clubs. So you may, 
you may have a strong distance focus when searching for a hybrid. And for others, if you're thinking about it, like I'm trying to get rid of a four iron I can't hit to save my life, you're probably going to be more concerned with the forgiveness aspect. So we kind of yeah. lay it all out there. That's, that is the split that we use and uh, you know, we're, we're pretty happy with it. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing that I like too is, and you know, when we break this down in the reviews, you can see where it ranked in terms of, you know, good, better, best, fair, poor, in those different areas, right? So you can take- And again, the, the full disclosure, right? The the fine print here is as with most of our tests, the the gap in, in actual distance per, under our metrics, right? The, the distance mm-hmm. from say first to 10th for forgiveness is a lot narrower than it is for distance. So just something to think about when you say, oh, well, it finished 10th for, di- for forgiveness. How can that be? You know, right. how can it still be among the leaders? And you go, well, because in that under that per, per, uh, that particular metric, there's not a whole lot of difference. You know, some difference, but it's right. it's not a giant chasm between say fourth and tenth. No, it's no, much we're talking than it is for distance. Yeah, think of uh, you know hundred meter dash in the Olympics. You know, you can lose by two tenths of a second and be twentieth, um, but that absolute difference. Like you said, in in this kind of situation, I, I just do. I like looking through the performance piece and seeing, oh, okay, yep, this one did really good for accuracy. This one did really well. Okay, oh, it's only moderate on this part. Okay, hmm, maybe that's something I need to consider. And and it kind of got me thinking about the ping situation a little bit that we mentioned in the other show, which was, you know, for a long, long time, you know, ping's primary calling card was forgiveness, MOI heel toe forgiveness, consistency recently, et cetera. And then when we, like I said, with G430 line in particular, the messaging changed. We heard them talking a lot more about placing more of an emphasis on distance, which we've been hearing from everybody else or a lot of other companies anyway. But this was really the first time that we heard Ping say, nope, we need more ball speed. We need to make that more of a priority this time around. And we did. That's why we feel like G430 is going to be demonstrably better than 425 is we really made it, it, even at times we took a step back on some MOI numbers in order to get a little bit more ball speed. So first question, do you like that approach from ping? I mean, do you think that this is something we're going to see more of from them or? Yeah, I, well, I mean, there, there first, there's a practical element to that line of thinking because as much as we can talk about accuracy and forgiveness and those things, it doesn't matter if you are not, if somebody walks into your, into a hitting bay with your club and you are not competitive for distance, like ideally you got to win that battle. And more often than not, you do. Sure. But if you're not at least competitive for distance, nothing else is going to matter. Right. You know, nobody talk about forgiveness being functionally a measure of consistency. Right. And, you know, if, if you hit every ball straight, but you're 10 yards shorter. Discard you're, pile. You're probably not going to be on board with that. So there is a practical Discard element pile. to it. And then the other piece of it, the other piece of it is, and, and this was part of the conversation, it was, you know, if, if Ping gave up forgiveness, it was, it was just a little bit. And certainly arguably within the realm of what they had to spare relative to everybody else anyway. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not like the decision was made to, Hey, we're going to make a fast, long hybrid and we don't care if it's forgiving at all. It's like, right. Eh, it's a, right. Well, I always talk all... about ping loves to talk about trade-off curves. And so here they maybe, maybe made a slight trade, but it certainly, certainly wasn't a lot. Cause again, it did, did really well across the board. Yeah, and the other question it, it kind of raised for me to getting into the weeds a little bit more is, like I said, is there kind of a functional limit where more isn't necessarily better, right? So if we're going to, let's just assume for argument's sake, we're going to talk about heel-toe forgiveness, MOI as a particular number. And let's just say, let's throw the number out there of 5,000, right? You're talking drivers here mainly, but let's say, okay, you have a number of 5,000. What is that functional number where even a little bit more doesn't translate into really any more, you know, actual consistency in terms of output. So it might look nice on paper to say, oh, MOI is X, that's up Y from last year, but really it doesn't actually. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So I was on, I was on uh, the Hack It Out podcast 
you know, it was a while ago with, with Mark Crossfield and Lou Stagner and, mm-hmm. you know, Mark, Mark was kind of into a, an MOI wormhole of sorts. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, you, you can't find it. You know, it's, it's, you, you can't find it in the numbers. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to say you can't find it, but it's, 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 it's difficult. And it's not, it's not as simple as higher MOI always goes the same distance and straight and lower MOI doesn't or sprays everywhere and, and things right. like that, because right. ultimately true forgiveness is, is a product of how consistently you find the center of the face or at least close to it. I say that all the time. You can throw MOI numbers out the window. The most forgiving club doesn't matter what category it is. Mm-hmm. The most forgiving club is the one you're going to hit in the center most often. And sure. So that that's that's a little more difficult to quantify with with a static measurement like MOI. And that's that's the other thing. Right. MOI it's... is a static measurement. Golf is a dynamic activity. Right. And so, yeah. All right. You may you are going to see with a with a higher MOI club, you're going to see typically tighter standard deviations of ball speed, for example, all things being equal. But we, we also know that with golf, not everything is is equal most of the time again if you're if if you give me the lowest moi driver on the market and if i hit that in the center of the face at a rate that far exceeds how often i hit the higher moi driver in the center of the face for me it'll be for more me forgiving. that right. that low moi driver is going to play as more forgiving if we define forgiveness mm-hmm. as a more consistent result on the golf course yeah even so though on paper it isn't yeah. it is it is hard to see sometimes high moi doesn't always translate to a to a functional on-course number, and I guess that's why it becomes extra important to go. Yeah, all right, we've we've got the MOI. Maybe some people see it. Maybe some people benefit from it. But but ball speed. <laughs> there are there's very yeah. few situations where, especially when you're talking about longer clubs like hybrids, drivers, fairways. There are very very few situations where more bears, more ball speed doesn't benefit golfers. Yeah, the only downside is. With additional ball speed, you you know you shift potentially the the gaps in your bag, right? Where you could you know have to kind of recalibrate and figure out, okay, how do I need to gap these clubs? What does it look like? Doesn't do me any good to have three clubs that all go the same distance. But and that was another thing I kind of thought with the hybrids, where it's really unique is if you are going to get fit for a hybrid, is that that is a place that you're looking you have to make sure you figure out where to fit it into your bag so that it's not like, Oh man, I got this hybrid. It goes further. I love it. It's awesome. But now I have a hybrid and a five wood that are basically the same club, you know? So yeah, there's always some that. tuning and tweaking. And that's, that's the beauty of adjustable clubs where you know, sometimes, Hey, if I, if, if my hybrid and fairway are too close together, mm-hmm. maybe it's as simple as adding loft to one. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a little, Add loft to one, take loft off another, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it happens to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you got options. What else do we have coming up on the uh, on the equipment testing side? What's uh, fairway what, woods are next? We got fairway, fairway woods, woods uh, wedges, and we're done for the year with the big stuff. And we'll do some kind of one off fun mm-hmm. stuff we got planned. We got some things we're we've been working on. We got some other stuff in the pipeline. So, yep. But for a big, know, we'll test, stay we busy. Fairway woods. Wedges, those are all coming up. If you have questions, I know you do. Post them below. Let us know what you think. We'll do our best to answer them. Golf Spy T on the interwebs. Golf Spy C also on the interwebs. Find us, follow us, ask us questions. And until then, we're out.